I'm reading from the Amplified. Always learning and listening to anybody who will teach them, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Always learning. And uh, this message really started being birthed uh, the other day as I talked with a gentleman that I was playing golf with and we were discussing the things of God and whether God is real or not and and he was raised in a church where he never had an experience with God and today we have to not just have a knowledge of God but we have to have an experience with God we have to have a relationship with God knowledge is important Um, some people have spiritual experiences but there's no knowledge tied to it so they think God is all manner of things that are not real so we can't just have spiritual experiences you can get those by doing yoga I understand (laughs) but we need more than just some spiritual experience with a God we need to know who that God is but we can't have just knowledge or just experience we have to have what happens when there's a marriage between knowledge and experience when we know who he is and we have a relationship with him an intimate relationship with him so it's this pursuit of the knowledge of him and the pursuit of a relationship and a personal experience with him amen that we need to strike this balance and so certainly today we're not going to cover this topic and even close to its entirety but I just want to examine 2 Timothy chapter 3 and the context of this statement because we are living in the information age. There is information everywhere. We are always learning. But that doesn't mean we'll come to the knowledge of the truth. We have to not just seek to learn and to know knowledge, but we have to seek and to learn to know God. Amen. And the th- I'm thankful... And I encouraged this gentleman. He thought it was kind of crazy that I said I had an experience with God. I had many experiences, but when God turned my life back to him was a very strong one. I said, you're just going to have to experience it for yourself. Amen. It's not going to make sense to you. You're going to have to seek it. And I said, I believe if you'll seek it. He said, well, it's going to take probably nothing short of God standing in front of me and telling me. I said, well... God knows what it takes to tell you, and He'll do it. If you seek Him with all your heart, and you really want it, He will show you. Amen. Because He's not a respecter of persons. Amen. So we're going to talk about this for a few minutes today. Lord Jesus, thankful for the mighty move of Your Spirit spirit we've experienced here today. What a wonderful touch and a reminder that You love each and every one of us today. That You are not far from any of us. And that even though we are just man, even though we make mistakes, even though we failed you, even though we have, we have sinned in our life time and time again, today as we've come and we've cried out to you with hunger, we've cried out to you thirsting for you, you have responded by wrapping us in your arms and letting us feel the affirmation of your love and your reality and the security of your touch once again letting us realize afresh and anew that we can have a hope in You, that we can be saved by You, that we can spend an eternity in heaven free from toil and free from care and free from all the struggles and the tribulations of this life, Lord. 
that though we are weak, you are strong. Though we're not able to overcome things in this life, we can take good courage and we can be of good cheer because you have overcome the world. You already died and rose again. You already led captivity captive. You already destroyed the stronghold of Satan in our lives. You've already taken the keys of death, hell, and the grave that we can obtain through repentance and water baptism in Jesus' name. The infilling of the Holy Ghost and in daily walking with you and pursuing a relationship with you where we distance ourselves from the power and the struggle of sin in our lives, Lord. The key is you and not us today. The key is you, Jesus, to empower us from within. Because you are able, as we said, to do exceedingly abundantly according to that power that works within us. Amen. When we receive your spirit, greater is he that is within me than he that is in, with, that is in this world, Lord. Amen. We're thankful for that confidence today that Christ in you is the hope of glory. Amen. That we have a hope today that's tied to a real God, a living God, a Savior who reigns on high and is victorious today. Amen. As we sang earlier, forever you are glorified. Forever you are lifted high. Of your kingdom, there shall be no end today, Lord. There shall be no end. And you will help us to rule and reign with you, Jesus. Amen. One more time before we're seated. If we could just thank Him that He rules today. Amen. That He is alive and well. He is strong and mighty in battle. Amen. He is giving us the victory today. He is giving us the victory today. Amen. You are giving us the victory today, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. You can be seated today. Amen. I'm thankful for the Spirit of the Lord that's been here from the beginning of service. And it's always good as we sing that song, I feel the joy of the Lord, uh, to experience the joy of the Lord because the joy of the Lord is our strength. And this, in this world, we can get weighed down by all the struggles and all the trying to do the right thing and trying to make heaven our home. And if we don't stop to rejoice from time to time, we're going to get weary and give up. So even sometimes when we don't feel like rejoicing, we've got to remind ourselves by faith where we're going, where Christ is bringing us to, by faith because we're not there yet, but by faith just rejoice and just say, God, you are giving me the victory. Lord, you are going to help me through this situation. Lord, I will live and not die. Amen. I will overcome. I will make heaven my home. I will be victorious. And we have to encourage ourselves as David did in the Lord. Amen. Because we hear all the negative voices, a constant barrage. And if we don't silence those voices with praise, it's easy to get drag, just drag through life. And and give up hope. But we have a great hope today. Amen? We are headed for a great place. And I just believe that we are going to see multitudes join us. The devil would have us to believe nobody in this city is going to come. Nobody's going to hear this message. And I wish I had a nice Christian word to say for that. But it would be something like, 
I'm trying to think of something appropriate. Hogwash. I don't know where to go with that one. But just the devil is... Someone said one time, how do you know when the devil's lying? Anybody know? When his lips are moving, right? Right? Some people, how you know they're lying because their lips are moving. They're just, they don't know how to tell the truth. And so you just need to learn to have an answer to come back against that lie because he's come to steal, kill, and destroy. He does not want us to have abundant life, but Christ came to give us that life and we will experience that life as we claim it by faith. Amen. So we wake up in the morning and we remind ourselves and we encourage ourselves that we are overcomers. Amen. It's not positive self-talk. That's not the same as, as buying a self-help book and just talking yourself happy. That's speaking truth. If you are in Christ, you are an overcomer. Amen. If we are submitted to Him, if we are walking to Him, if we are repenting of our sins throughout the day, if we're giving ourselves to Him, we have no, no condemnation. Amen. We are in Christ. Amen. Second Timothy 3 and 1. This is a little bit of a tough read because it speaks of the last days and it speaks of perilous and dangerous times that we are living in. But let us not be discouraged as we read this. It is true and we must examine ourselves from time to time to understand if we are allowing the pressures of our day to conform us to these things because there's a pressure from the world and there's a spiritual pressure that's behind all the physical we see to fall into these things. But understand this, that in the last days, dangerous times, we're going to read through the Amplified, and I went ahead and put all these on the overhead so um, we could read along, but it gives us a little more insight on some of these scriptures. That dangerous times of great stress and trouble. Amen. We feel that, don't we? <laughs> we feel a little bit of stress and trouble sometimes. So you are not alone. And the Bible said this would happen. Think it not strange, right? These times will come. Difficult days will be hard to bear. For people will be lovers of self, narcissistic and self-focused. Now again, we, are, we have to go through this list from time to time and we have to say, Lord, am I allowing this to rise up too much in my life? Because all of us are susceptible to it. Am I, am I being a lover of self? Am I being selfish in my pursuit of satisfying me in life first? Lovers of money, impaled by greed. Boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, and profane. And they will be unloving, devoid of natural affection, calloused and inhumane. And again, this is why the church of God would stand out as a lighthouse in a dark place because through the Spirit of God, we are experiencing the love of God and we should be spreading it to others so they feel a warm affection that is void elsewhere. An affection that is real. A love that is real. A love that is sacrificial and selfless toward one another. A love that is edifying others and building others up. Looking for the good and not always the bad. 
holding each other accountable for the shortcomings, but not magnifying those things and constantly reminding each other of those things. But building each other up, sharing life, encouraging one another, loving one another. Irreconcilable. That means sometimes people have a dispute and there's no way you can reconcile with them because they have made up their mind they will never be okay with you again. Malicious gossips. Amen. Gossip is something that God has a strong distaste for. And by the grace of God, we don't want gossip in our church. We don't want to be tearing each other down. We don't want to, this goes along with pride. If we think we're good enough to talk bad about somebody else, we are being proud and arrogant. Because we ourselves, we must be careful of our spirit and our attitude. The only time we should discuss faults is to bring a resolution and reconciliation. Devoid of self-control. God, I need your help here. Amen. This is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Temperance. Self-control. With all the temptation and all the things all around us appealing to the lust of the flesh, we need self-control. Intemperate. Immoral. Brutal. Haters of good. Amen. You wonder why there's a, such a, a, a bad reputation with a church that tries to follow Christ? Because there's haters of good all over. Traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of sensual pleasure rather than lovers of God. And again, we, if we're not careful, we can allow ourselves to pursue the pleasures of our, of our flesh rather than submit ourselves to the design of God. Right? The design of God is a man and a woman in marriage intimate with one another and outside of that, that's not to occur. That's God's design. And if somebody wants to go outside of that, that's between them and God. I'm not going to condemn them to hell and say they're horrible and rotten and, and, and be mean and spirited in any way, but that's God's design. And in us, in case we get judgmental, even the thoughts of being with someone outside of marriage, the Lord says, is adultery. So be careful lest you throw stones and you yourself are fully guilty of fornication in your mind. See, this is not the easiest scriptures to go through, right? (laughs) If you're being honest today, this is... This is hard stuff. This is tough sledding, but it gives us the context to what we're talking about. Because some people, because of these things, verse 5 says, they hold to a form of outward godliness or religion. They go through the motions. They appear to be religious. They have a formal relationship where it's not really a relationship. It's a formality. It's something that they exercise from time to time, but there's not anything in it that changes their life. Because they deny the power. Here it says, for their conduct, their way of living, everyday life, 
the way they talk, the way they act, the way they conduct themselves in all manner of life, it nullifies their claim of faith. Their actions betray their words. If I tell you I can play basketball as good as Kevin Durant, we'll say. He's pretty good. LeBron James. I could tell you all day long I can. But as soon as we step on the court and start playing, you're going to realize, you're going to know that before we get there, but you're going to realize, no, you are full of it. Hogwash. Hogwash. And so we can say we're Christian all day, but if it doesn't change our conduct in any form in our life, we're just the same as we always have been, and we just swim upstream with the course of society, we're, our actions and our lifestyle are nullifying whatever we're saying with our mouth. Because the Holy Spirit, when it gets inside of us, it begins to change us if we will surrender to it. It begins to make us feel bad. It doesn't mean we don't make any more mistakes. We'll all tell you that's not true. Unfortunately, every day, the Spirit tells me, shouldn't have done that. Oops. Shouldn't be thinking that. Oops. Shouldn't have said that. Oops. And I have to repent. And the power of God works in us to change us, to make us more like Him. But society is so radically different than a pursuit to be Christ-like that it seems odd and strange sometimes. When people are really pursuing to be like Christ, it's weird to the world. And Paul said, and I believe it's in Corinthians, I didn't write the verse down, but he said that we preach Christ. And Christ is a stumbling block to the Jews. We're going to get to that pursuit of knowledge in just a moment. But insert this verse here. He said, Christ is a stumbling block to the Jews because the Jews expected Jesus to come and establish an earthly kingdom. They were all about, let's overthrow Rome. Let's build a nice big castle for us, I guess. I don't know, whatever. But let us be in charge from now on. Some people only serve God for what they get out of this life. If God blesses them materially, then they'll serve Him. If God does what they want, He wants them to do, you know, prospers them and all this, gives them the promotion they want, on and on and on, they'll live for Him. But that wasn't the Christ Paul preached. And, it, and he goes on to say he was a stumbling block to the Jews and he was a, it was foolishness to the Greeks, to the Gentiles. The cross in Christ is foolishness to the world. How would you overcome by dying? And that's what they think about us. By dying to yourself in repentance, you overcome. Doesn't make sense. But that is reality. Amen? When we die to self, we gain Christ. When we are crucified in Christ, we live but not I, but Christ that lives in me. Verse number six. 
Second Timothy three six says, For among those or among them there are those who worm their way into houses or to homes and captivate morally weak and spiritually dwarfed women weighed down by the burden of their sins, easily swayed by various impulses. Now, in this verse, primarily why he's just mentioning these women is because they were at home, they weren't as educated in the scriptures or anything, and so this can easily apply to anybody who does not have a knowledge of scripture, not just women, men, boys, girls. If we don't have a knowledge of the word of God, we can easily be led astray by these who say they have a form of religion. Always learning. So you see the context. These people were being led away from the truth. They were always learning. They were listening to anybody who would teach them, but they were never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And I feel a little bit like a broken record, so I apologize for saying it all the time, but to me, this reminds me of Facebook. I, I, I do Facebook. I'm not condemning Facebook. I do it. And I, I, I do it all the time. But on Facebook, you are always learning. Everybody's opinions, right? And sometimes I just have to turn it off because I get confused. Because everybody is so adamant with their opinion. And sometimes you read through these comments and you're like, you just start getting a headache. I do. I'm like, get a logistical vertigo. I start feeling like I'm upside down in my brain. I'm like, what in the world? Because people come across like they are the expert and they are the authority and they come across so strong about issues and they act like anybody who doesn't believe it is backwards and ignorant and it's like where, what's true they're always learning and our colleges unfortunately in a lot of cases have become seed beds for all kinds of philosophy when I went to college they taught us all kinds of crazy stuff. Where I would just leave class sometimes, I have to go to my car and pray and be like, Lord, what in the world? We've got to be careful where we are getting our information from, right? We've got to be careful who we're trusting as our source. And sometimes, even, even in preparing messages, I have to put the commentaries away and just read the Bible and say, God, show me. Because even as a, as a preacher of, of the Word of God, sometimes we lean on certain study t- techniques and we, we, we develop sermons and so forth. And sometimes I feel like God challenges me. You just need to read the Word. And let me give you what it says, the interpretation. Let me tell you what it says. Because some people are always learning. They are, they are religious gurus who have studied for years and years and years and could talk me under a table with their doctrine. But most likely, if they're not in truth, they haven't had much of an experience. It's all head knowledge. 
in verse number 8 tells us we have to be even a little more careful because even these people, not only do they have a persuasive argument, but just as Janus and Jambres, these are the court magicians. You remember when Moses went before Pharaoh and said, let my people go, and there was some magicians there that counteracted what he was doing and they were able to throw down their staff and the snake appeared too and so on and so forth they had a certain measure of ability to do miracles as well because some people in the world have power that's not of God so these men also oppose the truth they oppose Moses and they oppose the truth Men of depraved mind, unqualified and worthless as teachers in regard to the faith. So they have a lot to say, but eternally, this isn't being arrogant. This is not saying bad about them, nothing personal, but their advice is worthless. It's worthless. And my advice, if it was outside of the Word of God, would be worthless. But they will not get very far for their meaningless nonsense and ignorance. This is some pretty strong language. It will become obvious to everyone, as was that of Janus and Jambres. Eventually, there's going to come a time where God's going to show out. And God's going to reveal truth. And unfortunately, some people have a false sense of security because that might be not until eternity for them but you look at people like Adolf Hitler he had a pursuit where people thought he was right for a long time but in the end people saw the truth then Paul goes on to say you've diligently followed my example that is my teaching so there is a teaching there is a knowledge to follow it does. Con- we are to follow this, a teaching. But it goes beyond just the knowledge. Again, they also followed his conduct, his way he behaved, his purpose. Again, what, what drives us in life? What are, we, what are we going towards? What's our motivation for living and for decisions we make? The purpose of Christ, our faith, our patience, our love, our steadfastness. So there's so much here than just a knowledge of God. Just a, some people, they use the word belief to just be something where you mentally acknowledge Him and you're saved, right? Just believe, they say, and you'll be saved. But they isolate belief to between our ears. But true belief involves not just what goes on here, but it involves our conduct, our purpose, our faith, our patience, our love, our steadfastness. And the the words we don't really like to talk about, even the next verse, our persecutions and our sufferings. Because those things happen to us as Christians too. Because as we live for Him, we're going to face persecution. As we follow Him, we're going to suffer. Christ was perfect. He never sinned one time, but He offended people so bad they killed Him. So I make sure I do my best not to offend anybody by my spirit, 
But if I offend them with the word, I can't apologize because I must represent his word. Paul goes on to say, such has happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, in Lystra, what persecutions I endured. And here's the hope. But you saw the Lord rescued me from them all. Amen. God is able to rescue us from everything that we face in this day. We have no excuse to say it's too hard. I just can't live for him. Not one of us have come close to what Paul went through. And he kept the faith. And he endured to the end. He finished the race. But it wasn't because he was so much better than us or so much stronger than us. He gives the credit to the proper place. The Lord rescued me from them all. The success to our victory is not that we try harder by ourselves, that we are somehow have some intestinal fortitude and inner strength, that we are, have more willpower than others. No, it's only Christ in me. And I will only overcome as I humble myself to not only admit that to myself day after day, but to give that communication to others as well. It's only Christ in me. Indeed, all who delight, verse 12, in pursuing righteousness and are determined to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be hunted and persecuted because of their faith. All who delight in pursuing righteousness and are determined to live godly lives in Christ Jesus, it takes determination. It takes a pursuit. And as we do these things, unfortunately, sometimes we're going to be hunted and persecuted because of our faith. So again, the world thinks it's strange that we're doing something that shouldn't necessarily mean that we're wrong. It's not always going to make sense to people who are not pursuing the Lord. But evil men and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Man, some more great news. But as for you, okay, so people are going to get bad. Don't don't let it surprise you. People are going to get worse and worse. You know, ICE is still going to do their thing. Politicians are still going to do their thing. It's going to get worse and worse. But as for you, don't worry so much about what all they're doing. Just focus on me. Continue in the things you have learned and of which you are convinced. Holding tightly to the truths, knowing from whom you learned them. So everybody else is doing their thing, but as for you, continue. And how from childhood you have known the sacred writings, the Hebrew scriptures, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So where does wisdom for salvation come from? From the scripture. Surrendering, this is the path that it takes. Surrendering your entire self to him and having absolute confidence in his wisdom, his power, and his goodness. Amen. I can't earn my salvation. I cannot do enough to earn it. I have to surrender to Him. I have to do my best to trust and obey Him. Place my confidence in Him. Seek wisdom in Him. It's all through Him. For all Scripture, a couple more verses and we're done. All Scripture. Okay, so... 
This argument that maybe some of it didn't get interpreted correctly, maybe man has changed it, maybe... No. All Scripture. You just have to settle that in your mind. You've got to ignore all those arguments. If God, is, if God is big enough to create the world, He's big enough to preserve His Word. Amen? He can preserve His Word. My faith to believe that is not in the men who transcribed it, it's in the God who preserved it. Yes, man makes mistakes, but God is greater than man's mistakes. So I just believe that all Scripture is God-breathed, given by divine inspiration. And just as it is given by divine inspiration, it is received by revelation. It's not about IQ level. It's not about, okay, I'm smart, so I can figure out the Word of God better than somebody else. It's, am I humble enough to ask God to give me the understanding of His truth, and I'll submit myself to Him. And only He can read that heart. Only He understands if I am truly humbling myself and asking for His direction. And once I receive it, if I'll follow it or not. Because His Word is profitable for instruction, for conviction of sin. That's the number one reason why I struggle with reading it sometimes. Because it hurts. <laughs> we don't always like looking in the mirror, do we? The Word of God is a mirror to the soul. And it exposes those parts that need to change. It's good for correction of error and restoration to obedience. God's correction always leads to restoration if we'll let Him. For training in righteousness... Learning to live in conformity to God's will, both publicly and privately, behaving honorably with personal integrity and moral courage. Where does this come from? From a knowledge of the scriptures. Because we can have an experience with Him, but if we don't have a knowledge of how we're to behave, we'll fail to live in conformity with His will. What's the purpose of all this? So that man, that the man of God, the woman of God, the child of God, may be complete and proficient, outfitted and thoroughly equipped for every good work. Amen. Outfitted and thoroughly equipped for every good work. As we pursue the Lord, both experience and knowledge, as we're praying and we're reading and studying, as we're doing these two things, it's going to equip us. It'll make us proficient so that we'll not be led away by doctrines of, the li of this life we're living in. Because there's some tricky stuff going around. And it sounds good to us because at the core of it, we all want to make other people happy. Maybe your personality isn't like mine as much, but we like other people to like us. We like to make other people feel good. And so there's this pressure that if you don't agree with everybody and everything, you're some kind of ignorant, backwards person. But God wants us to love everybody enough to live a lifestyle that will show them Christ. And to offer them the opportunity to come to Him. Not condemn them. But 
If conviction happens, that's good because it will save their souls if they'll give in to it. So we have to have a a knowledge of God. We have to be reading our Bibles. We have to be studying together. But we also have to have experience. It can't just be a head game because you'll go out of your mind if it's only a head game. So it's this balance. Does what I'm experiencing line up with the word? Is what I'm reading the word line up with my life? Is there this, this coinciding effect between what I've experienced and what I know? And it's a pursuit, daily pursuit. Amen? A daily pursuit. To know him and to experience him. Amen. If you could uh, stand today. And like many things, marriages, healthy marriages, good marriages where husband and wife are healthy and all those things, they don't just know each other, but there's an experience together, right? They don't just sit across the room and study.